meet Tony Scamparza, a hitman who is having a bad day. Despite the warnings of his boss, he takes the one job he should have avoided at all costs. Because of his insatiable ego, he's killed in the line of duty. However, death is now the least of his problems, as he's immediately recruited by demons from hell. Demons who come to offer him a job. A job of corrupting souls, because heaven and hell are locked in a timeless battle. A battle to recruit as many souls as they can, before all portals to the afterlife close and the world as we know it ends. Set in the world of Immortal Era, Corruptor is a prequel that shows the world before the curse of immortality. Join us for the 28-page debut issue where all hell is sure to break loose. Healing Hands airs every Monday on channel Healing Hands YYC, hosted by Chanel Bostic. Healing Hands is a massage therapy education show in which Chanel shows you exactly some massage techniques, how to heal, and the basics of getting started. Check it out every Monday at Healing Hands YYC. Click on the link below to subscribe. Front of everybody, this is Kathy Wagner, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna put it to you like this. So actually, it was funny this morning. It's like someone goes, What a good advice, how do you make money writing? Right? And I actually gave like probably about like a 10 step guide to doing it. Ultimately, what I realized with this whole gig, it's really what it comes down to is choosing what you want and believing in yourself enough to do it. That's literally like it sounds so simple like dr phil s here's a magic pill to make I, it better. i would add the third step of then putting in the work to actually make it happen and then uh, but, but that's that that comes with one and two like you okay. you you have to you have to um okay like right this minute like when we're when we get out the air i am one of my clients gig jobs right now is is i'm figuring out how to grow a following so what i'm looking at is big campaigns that have been successful and what they have in common, that's basically what I'm doing for the next today and tomorrow. And uh, it, it's interesting because I'm not just looking at books. I'm looking at stuff like music and 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 like big campaigns. Like like uh, I'm actually looking at Michael Jackson's Thriller, like like that that whole album. Yeah. So that's one of the most successful albums of all time. And the what they did with it to build it was was so cool. Like really, really just freaking cool. It was just like. They, they knew it was special and they treated it accordingly and it blew up like big time. Right. And I mean, credit to Jackson for being so talented, but also did they, they were, they were, they, they were smart about how they did it. And, uh, right. There's a lot of work put into that and, and there's a lot of work put into it, but you gotta have a focus of where you kind of want to go with this. That's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. Like your book is a, is a memoir. Actually, I'm going to ask this, like, and I, and I hope this isn't like if things had worked out differently and and you hadn't gone through what you went through, would you have written fiction instead? That's that's a great question. And I can tell you absolutely no. But the, the bigger question is, would I have written a book at all? Would I have written creative nonfiction? So I'm one of these people who my entire life I've always dreamt of writing a book. It's like, oh, maybe one day I'll write a book, but I have no yeah. stories to tell. I've spent my professional career working with words as a writer of some sort, either a technical writer, web writer, content strategist, writing trainer, but none of that is creative writing and it hadn't prepared me for the act of creative writing. So I never considered myself to be a creative writer. So 
when my son passed, I knew immediately that I had to write this story and that I had mm -hmm. to fill in the gaps of my knowledge and learn all I could to become a better creative writer. And ironically enough, I knew at that time that regardless of what had or hadn't happened with my son, if he had continued to live, I would have been just as capable of writing a book and I would have had mm -hmm. just as good of a story to tell and just as many stories to draw from as I had to tell after his death. I just didn't know about it. So his death made me aware of my ability to create whatever I wanted to create and, and, and more aware of, of the fact that, you know, time, we, we can't wait for, for when, we can't wait for, oh, when I retire, I might write a book. It's like, no, if I'm feeling drawn to write a book, now is the time to do it. And I think his his death really brought that idea home to me. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear? Okay, I cool. Can. Making sure I have yeah. to, I'm the spirit. My, my stream art sometimes when I hit this. Okay, there it goes. It went back up. So I'm good. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I sincerely wish you hadn't found out the way you did. I'm going to say that like on the air, like I'm, Man, it's even it's it's still like I I can't even imagine, and uh, I'm sorry. Like for like as little as that might be worth, you know. I'm it's sorry. what what else can you what else can you say? I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I I, I don't have yeah I so it's interesting because what you're talking. So my dad's a naturopath. So he was working. He he was working at a place. Um, he at the time he was working at this place called Hers Plus and Beads Works, and people would come to him with your son's like problems like because because at the time um it was a new drug and everybody was getting prescribed this thing and people were getting massively addicted to it even at the beginning of it uh, beginning stages of it and they were like what to do so i mean it, it it's may not be the most damaging thing ever introduced to the populace but in terms of medical but it's up there like it, it has messed up a lot of people's lives it, it absolutely has. And my story is not, you know, is not one of, um, you know, a, a painkiller gone bad. My son's drug of choice no. was cocaine. And so he, um, you know, he died from a combination of cocaine, but, but mostly from the fentanyl. But that was a poisoned drug supply. It, he was not a, an opioid addict. He was, as I said, he was addicted to stimulants. So he was a cocaine user predominantly. His kind of group of, of drugs of choice would be cocaine, crack, meth, those stimulants yeah. as, as opposed to the, the downers, the depressants yeah. of, you know, heroin, fentanyl, um, and so forth. Not that he didn't use them. I think, you know, there was times where he, you know, you get to a point where whatever comes your way, you'll try, but, but his drug of choices were certainly stimulants. And, um, you know, we, we, all evidence points to the fact that he died from drug poisoning, not from. Um, that, that's, that's fair. That's fair. I, I mean, I might be, I mean, like I said, I just, again, I just, yeah, we, it's funny. I, I've had friends who've done cocaine and they all say the same thing. Cocaine is a wonderful drug. Don't, don't do yeah. it. Like literally it's the, it's the first, it's literally the combination I hear from everybody. I know that's done it. It's like, it is an amazing, it makes you feel amazing. Don't do it. Stay as far away from it. You need to stay as far away from it as you can. It is one of the worst ones to get. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's great. Yeah, that's great when it works. You know, unfortunately, the reality is that people don't stay away from drugs just because they're told to stay away from drugs. And particularly when you know you're struggling with others, you know, you know, mental health concerns or feelings of depression or anxiety or, or anything else, then it's it's really hard to to um, kind of turn away from the ability to feel like you fit in and belong and you know feel good for a change. Well, I think the last one's the real key to feel good because if they didn't feel good, people wouldn't do them. Like that's, let's be like real here. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that. Right. That's the thing. I, I like, yeah. Someone like me who's never done it. Right. Who will hear this and go, okay, maybe I shouldn't because I've seen what it's done to these people. Yeah. That's easy. Once you, if you've done it for whatever, for whatever reason you do, I'm not going to judge people who have or haven't. Right. It, this is, I don't know their story, but it, once you go down those paths and once you start trying these things, again, part of like to escape, maybe those feelings of depression, mental health, maybe you're just bored and looking for a good time. It like people do things for people do stupid things for less reasons than that. And, mm -hmm. and what happens, what happens there is once you've had a taste of it, it's harder to walk, walk away from it, especially if it works, at least mm -hmm. it works for a while. Right. Um, if you do it long enough, like this is just this is just what I I'm gonna shut my phone off because my phone is not important, and I forgot to do that. Oops. <laughs> and but um, what happens is at first at least it works, and then eventually, what happens? And again, depending on how far down the rabbit hole you go, you need those drugs to function, right? Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's no longer it's no longer about feeling good. It's about I need this. And it's the worst thing in the world at yeah. that point. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like, like I said, from the outside looking in, I think probably the, I'm guessing, I didn't fully read your book. I I, just, I, started, I cracked it open. I got it, by the way. I'm going to read it in full somewhere. Like when it went, when mm -hmm. it is on my to read list in full, I knew it and then wouldn't get to read it all entirely uh, this week. But I imagine the probably the hardest thing about being a parent about this was, not that he did it or didn't do it or what he did or didn't do. It's more the fact that you had to watch him do it. And yeah. there's a point that, and there's a point in this. And the, I think one of the hardest things about, about, um, and I speak not as a parent, just as somebody, just as somebody I could, just from an imagination perspective, you raise them, you love them and you have to trust that they're going to figure this out. And if they can't, or if they can't fight this and, you can't fight that battle for them. And it's like, as a parent, you wish you could. Well, that that is, you know, certainly one of the core themes of, of the book. And, you know, when Trist, Tristan has two older sisters and his oldest sister also struggled with some addiction issues, not as severe as his, but they were certainly present and prominent. And then his another sister had no uh, addiction issues whatsoever. But by the time Tristan, Tristan was only 15 when he first entered active addiction. And as a mom at that point, I was turning over every stone possible, but there's actually no help available for kids, even like minors um, or adults who are not ready to receive it um, if they are suffering from addiction. 
uh, or substance use disorder, they just, there is zero help available unless they can say, yes, I'm ready and I want it. And of mm -hmm. course at 15, you, you know, he's, he's feeling just fine, even though he's been kicked out of three schools, is no longer going to school, is no longer doing his Taekwondo, which has been a, his passion. Um, he's fine. So what I, what I ended up doing, I'm a pretty creative problem solver. I took him to China to study Kung Fu with Shaolin monks. And I stayed with him for about five weeks there to get him settled and make sure it was a great spot for him. And he was there for a full year, his, his entirety of his 16th year, he was um, studying uh, Shaolin Kung Fu, which was an awesome experience for him. And it, 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 you know, he was free from drugs. So his brain was able to continue to develop although it did continue to show some addictive tendencies because um, addiction is not a, just about the drug. And, um, you know, he kept sliding back. So, so he had a number of successes. You know, the martial arts was a huge success for him. He went through culinary school. Um, he worked in some of the best restaurants in Vancouver. Um, but eventually his addiction just took over. And for me, the the yeah the struggle is in watching him and not knowing um early on not even knowing that recovery was possible not knowing you know that there was um that there was hope and then when tristan entered recovery i became aware that i needed to do my work and focus on my work my life outside of his and um that really i was only responsible for myself and Tristan could, you know, had all sorts of resources at that time to be responsible for himself. And he, and he, um, he embraced recovery. He loved, uh, he found great friends, great community. He, you know, gave back to his community. He had a heart of gold. That boy was just so generous with himself and loving. And that's actually one of the things that I feel strongly about in, um, in writing this book was continuing to share his legacy of sharing his story. One of the things that he took tremendous pride in when he was in recovery was being able to help other people by sharing his struggles and um, meeting them where they are at and listening to them and just sharing, sharing your stories without judgment or stigma. And that's one of the main um, things that I enjoy about, you know, that I really wanted from writing this book is just the idea that we as parents also suffer from the same stigma well, maybe not the same, but we do, you know, we can't share stories of our loved ones in addiction because there's so much stigma and judgment wrapped up with that, particularly as a parent, like, what did I do wrong, um, you know, to make that happen? Or what could I have done to have prevented it? The reality is nothing. Um, but people don't understand that there's so much judgment attached to it. So I think that sharing our stories is one of the best ways that we can help to um, battle stigma and, you know, help other people to reach out and say, you know, I need help because the reality is we're not alone in this. There are so many people who are challenged with raising kids or having loved ones who are suffering from addiction. Well, I mean, I guess it, it, it's not always illegal drugs. We do it in a drug culture today. I think one of the big things about, so I should ask this real question here. How old are you? I am 58. You're 58. Okay. So you remember like that back in our day, clouds didn't just talk like we're just there and then just talk to me sometimes. I, uh, I still remember when I was a kid, like the whole war on drugs thing. Right. Okay. And, and I've, I, I grew up on that. 
And I've seen where we've, as a culture, where we've gone with a lot, lot of stuff. You know, I remember, and I'm just like, there's a lot more, regardless of like, I'm not going to just talk about illegal drugs like cocaine. Meth, meth is an, an incredibly easy to get a hold of. I, I, uh, I, I lived in the United States. I, whereabouts are do you live? If you don't mind my asking. I'm in the Vancouver area in BC, British Columbia. I lived in so I, so you live in BC. I live I live in Calgary. So Calgary is known for is known for weed is really big out here, but it's got other it's got definitely its other share of, of things. But I remember like I I lived in Arizona for about who will say uh, for a couple of years. I lived in the Mormon community for one of those years, so like two of uh, two years up there. Drug of choice up there was math. Like it, it, it is incredibly, like even in places you don't expect it to, it's in, it's amazing how much that of that culture is right under the nose, and, and like looking at it from a kid's perspective, they're going, they're walking and dealing with this. Like, like I, I, I think when you, as I get older slash wiser question mark, one of the things I realize is that every day the temptations I face, the, the struggles I faced as a kid are not the same struggles kids today face. They yeah. have different temptations. They have a lot more options. They have a lot more ability to make choices beyond the scope of what a parent can do, can, can realistically watch and monitor. And you can hope for the best, like, like no matter like something you said earlier that definitely rings true is, yeah, you can give the kid all the best upbringing in the world, but right place, right time, right moment, like you can suddenly have like your kid will come in contact with something and they're gonna make some they make their choices, right? For what maybe for peer pressure, friends, board. Like I said I mentioned boredom, that's a big thing. Defying expectations, curiosity, just basic curiosity. What what, what what's the big deal about this, right? It's, and it's and, not... and unfortunately, yeah, in, in this day and age, because it's not just that the drugs are prolific everywhere. And, you know, to that point, you know, Tristan was well into, you know, recovery. He spent the last 14 months of his life in recovery um, and he was sober for 12 of them. So he was, it was a slippy, slidey route, but he was predominantly um, yeah. himself for the last, you know, yeah. chunk of time. And I remember him telling me, it's like, honestly, I you know, he told me that he just thought I was square that I, you know, like I didn't like drugs or something, but everybody did drugs. And he was, you know, he was in recovery before he realized that actually not everybody does use hard drugs, that that that's not, you know, what everybody no. does. It's what, it's what, you know, a lot of kids do though, unfortunately. And um, the, the challenge is now, you know, I, believe firmly that if if our drug supply was not poisoned at the moment Tristan would still be alive and still working um, towards his recovery whatever that looked like for him and so many of our kids and our partners and our parents and our loved ones would be alive if it were not for the toxic drug supply because you know it really is Russian roulette at this point um, and and teenagers particularly have the the ability to just feel like, oh, it won't happen to me. They might know about it, but every teenager feels invincible. And that's not the case, right? It, it just, there's, you know, too much of the, of the street drug supply is poisoned and it's killing our, our kids and, and they don't get um, the chance to, you know, be curious and then move on to other things. 
No. I, I again back in our back in our day. God, I feel old. Um, but I, I mean, the choices were simpler, right? And and now it's okay. Restaurant business, like okay, I have buddies that work in the restaurant business. They would tell me stories of what they had access to just in the restaurant, and you're just like, wow, right? Because it's not. It's right there, right? And and it's, yeah. the restaurant industry is riddled with addiction and, and drug use, and w- both alcohol and drugs. And it's one of the reasons that uh, I was talking to um, a chef about this and saying, like, what is it that attracts you know people who are struggling with it? And I think particularly um, uh, stimulants, because I you know I know Tristan like w- he would cook. Uh, he was an amazing cook. You know, again, he was working the best restaurants. He was looking towards, you know, becoming a, a chef and fine dining restaurants. And and I guess, you know, and he was saying when he was, um, he would get high and he could just hyper focus and go super fast and never stop. And there's a there's a culture that um, requires that in, in, a, in a way. But I was asking this chef whether, you know, what is it that it attracts them? And he was like, well, you know, it kind of goes both ways. It, it's it's also a place where where there is a there's a personality that is you know that people who struggle with substance use there's there's a commonality of personality traits and there's a sense of belonging. And I think when mm-hmm. you know people meet each other in a community that works for them, a drug using community that share a common passion around food and common interests, and um, it all just kind of is circular and then the 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 expectations in kitchens are often so demanding that um you know again i guess the drugs help unfortunately tristan found once he got sober he was unable to return to the kitchens he tried a couple of times he could not stay sober it was just not an environment that he could could be in and i know that it it absolutely broke his heart um, to come slowly to the realization through a, a series of relapses that he had every time he went back to work and went back into the kitchens. And he came to realize that he can't work in in the kitchens, certainly not fine dining and, you know, perhaps, you know, not professional kitchens whatsoever. Although, you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Over time, he might have been able to find his place. But, um, yeah, it was certainly a big challenge for him in his sobriety. Well, well, it's super hard. Like, like, like that environment again. Because go back, which say the expectations, especially of speed and and go, 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 mm-hmm. and like it's really easy to get caught up again that motion that go that go. And someone that that I have a buddy right now. He's just he's going through his recovery from alcoholism, and or I'm like I'm seeing him use his addictive traits in other ways. Like he's working out a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Like to the, like to the point where it's just like, but again, it's that ability to dive into something. Yeah. Right. Right. It, it, right. And if you have that in you, um, you have to, again, you have to be careful because one, once you get into something, you really like, it's just who you are. You get in there. Like, but, and but that's a normal. Those, but those people can be super successful, right? If you challenge it in the right direction, that kind absolutely. of can, can. Yeah, I, I, Absolutely, but that that requires that requires um, no, no, like I don't necessarily people people sometimes will say that I addictive traits are bad things, not necessarily. 
right? Mm -hmm. The the quality the qual the qualities uh, some of those people have are actually quite good. It's what drives them to be incredibly successful. It's just about again, it's it's what you do with what you have. And again, if you're somebody that can again, it's the environment. There's a lot of things that can that can impact you. And it's just realizing who you are and who you're not, right? Some people I, that walk away. I'm just yeah. gonna say people that I, if you want to talk, I'll, I can shut up for a minute, and you can just say what you're gonna say. <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. I, I just, it, it triggered a thought, but yeah, yeah. You, you, hold on, I, I promise we'll get there. All I was just, all I was gonna say is what I realized is like, like again, a lot of going back to what you say about stigmas. There are there are good things that come from everything. And reckon and recognizing and recognizing those things and what they are, um, and like good traits can have bad consequences, and bad and, and quote unquote bad traits. And when you use that, can have good consequences too. So it's it's something I learned. Like people that I, I know that have that tendency to be addicted to stuff, they're sometimes the most dedicated people with other tasks. It's 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 for them it's figuring out what that purpose is and realizing that they have to walk away and even saying all that just like you said earlier there's ups and downs with that like i that the guy i'm talking about he has relapsed here here and there it's just it's not easy yeah. yeah for sure i think one of the you know people things that don't understand is is the vast majority of addiction stems from trauma of some sort and whether that is something that happened or just something how that is been perceived and internalized in a way that is traumatic for for the person um that's often the at the root of addiction and certainly anybody who has lived in act, active addiction for any any amount of time has also experienced trauma as part of that lifestyle and living in that way so you know a lot of the things you know i don't like thinking about them as good or bad traits but you know, there are people who have a tendency towards, you know, more obsessive compulsive behaviors. Um, and that is part of what addiction is, is obsessive compulsive mm -hmm. behaviors. And, and it's getting to the to understanding of where that's coming from. Is there a pain that needs to be addressed that that behavior is trying to cover up? And, um, you know, the work that needs to go into figuring out, um, you know, a different way of a different way of being within yourself so that you can show up differently in the world around you. Making peace with yourself. Like mm -hmm. the hardest thing about dealing with trauma is coming terms that it happened. And I'm making that sound way simpler than that actually is. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and, and kind of, if you've gone through something traumatic, whatever that is, you kind of have to come to the terms that you have to learn to accept what happened to you. And that's not, that is a hard thing, right? Depending mm -hmm. on what it is, that can be brutal, like, right? That, like, right? There's a brutality to that. If you can do that, it's possible to make peace with yourself. It's possible. I'm not saying you're going to, it's possible. <laughs> And and then you can then you can reshape that moment or those moments in time into something positive. And again, folks, I realize this, I'm making this sound <laughs> simple. I did not say I did not say that with anything I just said is easy. It's not. You yeah. ha, you had there's a there's a brutal there's a brutal honesty 
you kind of have to face with any traumas you have. Um, me, myself, and then the only reason why, the only reason I know this. So when I lived in Arizona, I went through a very hard time in my life and it, my teeth were heavily damaged. So I had to go fix my teeth. I, I, part of the reason I held off from fixing my teeth so long, there's a couple reasons. One, it's a terrible moment in my life. And I kind of, at least in the beginning, needed to have that reminder in my head of what I went through. But when I got to a certain point, I was reluctant to fix it. And it took me a long time to get ready to do it. And when I did, I realized why. Because it was everything I went through in that year. I had to kind of make peace. There was a part of me that felt like I let it happen. And it was my fault. And even if it was my fault, I had to accept certain things about that. Mm -hmm. That that was not easy. Like the night before my surgery, I kind of cried. But once I once I confronted it, I was able to do something different about it. And again, that's not I'm not putting my trauma in, in, into like like it was easy for me. No, that took years. That took years. But, and I'm sure like, it's not just about the if there is one particular incident. Sometimes it isn't one particular incident, no. you know, but it's it's just the way you end up talking to yourself. It's the stories you tell yourself. And you can continue to traumatize yourself by the stories you tell yourself. And that's not so easy to start start learning a different narrative. And it's one of the mm -hmm, go ahead. no go 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 no you go no, yeah it, I hate your good stuff. It, it's one of it's one of the reasons um, you know one of the things that I came to terms with while writing this book. Um, well, one of the reasons why I wrote the the book to begin with the first draft anyway was to process the trauma that I lived through while living with my son's you know addiction and then recovery and relapses and death. But then. What surprised me, you know, originally I had intended to write this book to show that addiction can happen in any family, which I firmly believe I know to be true. Sure. Any, any family can suffer from addiction. Um, but what I what I was confronted with as I was writing through this book is that we are not just any family. Um, we are a family that is riddled with generations of addiction. And on Tristan, my kids on both sides are have addiction running through generations. And Tristan was not just any kid. He was a kid that was hypersensitive, that was um, extremely empathic, that was uh, had a hard time making friends or feeling like he fit in. He had trouble regulating his emotions. Um, all of those things are, show from a very early age um, are high risk factors for, for later on um, struggling with addiction issues. And then he also had undiagnosed depression and ADHD which um, I didn't know about, but looking back, the pieces were all there. So through the process of writing these book, the book, I had to confront that and I had to learn more about and explore Tristan's trauma and trauma, how, Trist how trauma showed up in his life. And what was interesting um, to me is it took me a long time to process that. Like I was not going to write about a lot of that because... Um, you know, I think I, I didn't want to share, I didn't want to share the bad parts of Tristan because I know how sweet he was and I wanted everybody to know how sweet he was. And I didn't want to share some of the things he went through that show, um, you know, a different side of him. And in the end, I did because I feel strongly that one of the things that keeps people in addiction is shame 
and not being able to talk about their stories and not being able to talk about the things that happened to them and not being able to talk about the things that they did. And well, once I knew about those things about Tristan, then his shame kind of felt like it was my shame. And I was not wanting to say anything to keep him safe, even though, you know, he's safe from anybody's, you know, judgment at this point. And I, I did share things because I want other parents to know that, you know, there's nothing that their kids do in addiction that is unique. And there's nothing that we have done as parents that are unique. We are all trying our best and we are all suffering against very impossible odds at times. And it's okay to talk about it. Like we don't always show up at our best. We are not always who we want to be when we are struggling with some really, really tough issues. So, so I did, I did share, you know, some, some of the things um, that, that I spent quite a bit of time thinking about um, because I really strongly believe in the importance of sharing our stories as, as a way to break down stigma. It's, but it's not just, it's not, as we're breaking down stigma, it's also we all have a desire at some level to be heard. Yeah. If I were to go, if I were, if I were to go, I could think of two other reasons you wrote the book off the top of my head that are very personal. The first one you kind of mentioned was Tristan. Here's the thing. I, 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 again, you mentioned this. You didn't want Tristan to be stigmatized, but also you, in one very real sense, what this book does accomplish is it doesn't, it gives your son a story to, to tell his story. You're doing that for him because he's not here to tell it. And that's a very personal thing. And I don't, I don't, I think, I think that's one of the things that makes it very powerful. Right. And in telling that story a little bit, you're also telling a little bit of your own because, because what's happening there is again, as a parent, right. Especially if you really, really care, like I can't, I I've seen, I know good parents, I know bad parents, the ones that really are good parents care and they want to know it. Like, and maybe one of the hardest things, and this is, and this is, this is, I mean, probably part of what you've had to, this is an assumption. If I'm wrong, please, I'm not trying to like, you know, but it's almost like you felt you failed and that's a hard, because you, you couldn't help them mm-hmm. and coming to, and coming to terms with that, because again, something you say is very true. We can only help. You can only be helped if you want to. I, I, I have a, my family comes from a, a very, from a Christian background. And one of the things Jesus used to always ask his people before he healed them was, do you wish to be healed? He always would ask that question. And the reason he asked that question is because if you don't wish to be healed, there's nothing he can really do. Right. No matter what you took it away, you would find a way to, to either get it back or you would find a, you would find a way back. Right. Even knowing that. There's always a little, I, I'm sh- like, it, probably until you wrote that book. And if again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. There's always a little bit of that one. Could I have done more? Well, I think, I think there's a number of things you just talked about. One is I, the, um, the amount, the amount of who is in this book is reversed. So this book is very firmly my story. And I tried to be very careful in that in keeping uh, Tristan as a secondary character because I wanted to be very, you know, for for the one thing, I'm aware that 
as much as I knew my son inside and out, there is so much I did not know about him. And, you know, there's one scene in the book where I talk about, I, you know, I wish I could see him as he was and not through this mom filter that we have. Like, I can't remove my mom filter. So I cannot tell Tristan's story because I did not live Tristan's story. All I can tell is my own story. And so I was very, very committed to staying in my lane while writing this book. Of course, it shares a lot of Tristan's story because that is the story I'm telling. Um, of, of my experience with Tristan, but um, it was very much focused on me. And as far as, um, oh, there were, what was the other thing you were talking about? The, the reason for writing it. Um, you had a thought there and I don't know what, now it's, it's gone. Um, oh, so let me, let's, let's see if I can refresh my memory. Tristan's story, which is the first thing I said. Yeah. Yeah. You confronting prior to the story, prior to really coming to oh, the guilt. dealing the guilt with this. And the guilt, the guilt and that sense of possible failure. Because that's what it should have could have like, Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. could I have really done something different? Yeah. Because I would again it's knowing knowing what you know, maybe there wasn't a lot she could have done. Again, I haven't read the full story. Yeah. I will read it. So I will read it. But Here. and Sorry, I can tell. I can tell you. I I did everything I possibly could, and it was not enough. And I still struggle with guilt at times. Yeah. There, you know, there's all sorts of things, and and I think the first, you know, there's a chunk of the book where, um, you know, I'm really wrestling with those feelings of guilt of why did I not know? Why did not I not do something sooner? Why did I do this and not that and the other thing? And I, I think that that's. Um, well, I know, like I've talked to hundreds of mothers who have lost their, their kids at this point. Um, and I've been a, a grief support facilitator and I, you know, I have not met a single parent who hasn't felt guilty, um, and, you know, or regret. There's certainly regrets. I have all sorts of regrets to this day. And I, I think there's not, I think that it's okay to feel guilty, to be honest, because it's what we sure. feel. Like there's, there, there's no feeling that is wrong, but you don't, you can't live in it forever. Like, you know, for me, I had to just, I just had to embrace the fact that I did the absolute best I could. Tristan did the absolute best he could. And I'm not even prepared to say it wasn't good enough. All I can say is it wasn't enough to save him given our toxic drug supply. And you know, Tristan was working hard on his recovery. I was working hard on my recovery. I worked hard, you know, to save him. You know, uh, we all did the best we could. So there's no sense living in that state of grief, but it's okay yeah. to feel yeah. it at times because it's going to come. It's human. Yeah. Like, I, 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 it, 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 it's as human as you get. Like, why would... Why wouldn't I mean at least even for a moment or two feel that way, right? And sometimes there's no good answers. Like I, like you said, you did everything you knew how to do. It's all you can do at the end of the day, right? Yeah. All you can do. And Tristan, from what it sounds like, was the same. And again, and he struggled. And sometimes, mm -hmm. and, and much like anybody else, like I, I, I cannot stress this enough, folks. No, right? People that are with addiction, you know, are trying to be clean of it there are good days and there are bad days and sometimes they fall 
No one's undefeated. No one's no one's unbeatable. You know what I mean? Like no one's unbeatable. Right. And so like like saying he fell short. Lots of people fall short. And that's not that's not a like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like well, I'm not, I, 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 no, no. In, in, in terms of life, okay, look, look. I, I like me personally, this is what it comes down to. I have a handful of regrets. I have a million mistakes. I'm good with that. Like that that I will I will go to the Almighty and go, God, I was a fuck up. I was a fantastic one. I will literally say that to him, right? But that that right, because that is who I am. But I but again, I, I have no illusions about like me being I can be the best me at the end. All I can be at the end of the day is the best version of myself I know to be. That's exactly. it. That's all I can do. Some days that's a better version than others. Some days, mm-hmm. right? And that that is that is we are all on the right. When I say when I say I'm talking specifically addiction when we're talking about this, right? In terms of being able to go again, I've never had an addiction issue like like that. So to say like I can't say I I've struggled with something I've never had. So I can't say that in that particular case. It doesn't make me better. It just means I I have other fuck ups. That's fine. I, I and that's another that's another right. But um right that's another that's another episode but for the purpose of what we're talking about here what i'm saying is it doesn't matter who you are what drug you're recovering from there are days again i i've seen stories of okay alcoholism where all they wanted didn't want to drink a bottle they just wanted a drink Mm -hmm. they just couldn't stop Mm -hmm. right they couldn't and and they realized it after the fact but all they wanted was a drink right that's like that's human i want to drink sometimes right i mean that, that that's a human that's as human as you get and it, it's just with some people they can't and that's just mm-hmm. and that and and for all of us that's something we all have to kind of like hit. once we hit that point you have to recognize it for what it is. And again, I'm making it sound really, 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 really simple. It is really, really, really not. I, I, I'll say it like this. There's simple and then there's easy. Yeah. Simple isn't easy. It just exactly. isn't. And, and right. <clears throat> so yeah. what, what I'm saying is an accumulation of things I know in my head. Doesn't mean that it like. You're gonna get it all well, right, right, right. Exactly. That doesn't work. Yeah, right. It's like you go so, back to write, writing. It's like all we need to write a brilliant bestseller is all of these elements. Does it? Does that mean we can sit down and do that? Do it? No. <laughs> See, I, I actually had an epiphany. Okay, like we're, we're, we'll, we'll go. We'll come back to your book a little bit. I actually had an, an epiphany, and I, I, I realized this. So, on a lighter topic. I became a Swifty this year on a lighter, on a lighter topic. Right. And, and, and I didn't expect that to happen. Like I listen, I didn't, re- have you ever listened to someone on the radio? You think they're really good, but you never actually listened to them. They didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. And that was what happened to me. Like I, I listened to some of her music and it was just like, Oh my God, she's really good. And I looked for some of her catalog. It's like, I've heard all this on the radio. 
I have a problem. This is why I say I was conditioned to like this stuff, right? 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 And 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 that's that sounds really silly. That sounds really, really silly. But I realized one thing I've realized about great art, doesn't matter what what it is, whether it's creative nonfiction, music, comics, whatever the case may be. I think what and this this it's there's an authenticity in Taylor Swift's work that's uniquely Taylor. Right. And, and the reason why she, because she's in one of the most competitive music fields. Like, like you look mm -hmm. at Ariana Grande, you look at, you look at Christina, like some people like Avril Lavigne, uh, Ariana Grande, Nicki Minaj, like that is one of the most competitive marketplaces for that kind of music. She's number one. And I realized why it's because it's not what she sings it's because she's Taylor Swift singing those things. And mm -hmm. she's been able to tap into that authentic self in a way. And I can use other examples. I can use Eminem for music. I can use Stephen King for writing. I can use JK, whether you, whatever you think of her, JK Rowling for her stuff, right? There's an authentic, there's an authentic, there's, they have found that authentic core of themselves that they can share to other people. And that's something that I think Again, now finding out what that piece is for each of us, I think is a little different, right? You gotta kind of figure out what that spaghetti that sticks on the wall actually is. And that takes time or some luck. I'm not gonna lie, some luck too, right? But um, but I think I I do honestly believe at this point that most of the successful people that are out there, they were true to themselves. And I think one of the big journeys of being an artist, uh, one that I think the biggest journey of being an artist of any kind is you gotta be, you gotta be find a way to be vulnerable enough to share with your audience, not just writing from your head, but from your heart. Mm -hmm. And when we learn to do that, that's when we truly connect the people. I, I would absolutely agree. And the people at the top also have a mountain ton of talent that not everybody has, even if we're being true to ourselves, you know, there's, there's the ability to, there's, there's um, kind of innate, particularly when it comes to art, I think there's an innate talent that, that people have to, so, you know, talking about books to string words together in a certain ways to be able to express their thoughts in words in a different way. And I think everybody can learn to be a, to, to be a good writer. If, you know, but not everybody can learn to be an absolutely great writer because not only do you need to be true to yourself and vulnerable and find that unique thing, you also actually need to do it in a way that resonates with all of the people. And that's, that's a, that's, you know, that's an, an interesting ingredients that go into it. Plus there's a huge element, I believe of luck and uh, support and, all sorts of different factors that get people kind of to the top uh, and niches of success, for example. There's a ton of talented people that are not that successful, but are just as talented for various reasons. I, I see, and that's, how, and that's actually why I would push back on the talent part a little bit. I actually think, in my humble opinion, I think talent's the most overrated part of the, the, part of the journey. I'm not saying talent isn't required, but I, one thing I, I just one of those things in life I've realized, like, and just as I've gotten again older slash wiser, 
sometimes the difference, I think the most important lesson we've ever gotten in elementary school was take it, those attendance. I have all, because honestly, it's, it's, it, it sounds silly, but one of the things I realized is that a lot of people just don't show up. And I'm talking like sure. for themselves, right? I'm yeah, not even absolutely. talking like for commitments. They just, when it comes right to it, I know people more talented than me that have gotten nowhere near as far as I have. And it's not because absolutely. I'm right. It's nothing special in terms of like, I'm not saying I don't have talent, but I think it's, the, I think the most important part about what I do is I'm tenacious, right? That tenacity, that relentlessness, that drive to go <clears throat> has created those, op- I show up for myself. I've learned how to do that. And when I realized that's like, like this game is not so much, if you're, if the job is, I realize this, the job is imagine that your success is a gun and the objective is not to point it at your own foot, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you may not know where the target is exactly, but as long as you don't shoot your foot or any other part of you, you're good, right? And that's what I've learned is that alone cuts so – it's the big difference with so many people. Then I think talent comes into play. Luck comes into play a little bit more, but I really think one of the most fundamental things we do, and I think in particular Canadians are, are living proof of this. I think Canadians are some of the most talented people on the planet. The, you, you literally like Vancouver, there are so many stupid talent, like walking down just downtown Vancouver, right? You can see the characters on the streets just like begging for even just begging for change. Some of them have amazing stories and they do something just to get changed. Some of them do some incredibly unique, talented, interesting things to get their people's attention. I'm just like, they put a lot of thought. And it sounds like really silly, but they put a lot of thought into this. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, just even that part, not alone the musicians, the actors, the, the Hollywood North stuff, the all the other things that are there. So many talented people. But do you know who are the last people? to believe it them yeah and i realize that that is that that is the i honestly think that's the biggest like i've I've interviewed legitimately a thousand like shit i've learned over a thousand people and what i've learned hey heck even you when you what you said at the very beginning about yourself right i'm not a creative writer right i i i i I, I, the respect i don't fully believe that i didn't believe that when you told me what you did I, I, when you told me what she did, I was like, nah, she, I don't think she, all right. You realized it when you wrote the book, but even, but again, it was in you all along. Well, right? that's what I was, that, that was the realization. And I knew that immediately that I was capable of doing all of these things. I just hadn't done them. So, yeah. but, but I hadn't known yeah, up until that point, I didn't feel like I was capable of it. And then all of a sudden I knew I was. Yeah. So, I mean, you might, and I say this, I say this with all, I mean, you probably will say hell no, but I mean, you might be one of the most talented writers I've ever had on the show for all I know, but I'm up not, until. I'm not going to say hell no, but I, I have yeah. no idea. I'll say yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but I say it, I say it like that, right? Just because it's, it's, and the difference is you had that talent before you did it, mm-hmm. but you had to realize it, right? And. And that is such a, 
if I could change one thing in the world, just one thing, that's the thing I change. Hmm. I would teach, I would, I would try to go out of my way and realize that whatever it is that makes you you is truly special. And you can, it's worth something in the world. Because I think if we all had that more, I do think the world would be a better place. Now, maybe I'm on something, not onto something, but that's that's how I see it. I legit, I really do. The moment people realize they can do something, they can discover a talent or a skill or a passion, more importantly, a passion, it's amazing to watch people come alive. It's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. It's it's probably the coolest miracle I see with people back when they have that confidence to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. So do you, so to everybody listening to this, if you don't want to hear it, you're all worth something. Truly. Like, honestly, it, it doesn't matter who you are. If you are who you are, you are. And the quicker you realize that, the quicker you will discover what you can do, really do. But anyway, that's my big happy philosophy. <laughs> so, okay. So, you mentioned that are you going so before we go back to the book and and do the all the wonderful wrapping up what besides discovering your talents and and maybe dealing through certain things um what did this book teach you um it's a good question i think you know there's a lot of layers to that like i i um I wrote this book kind of with two, obviously in one part for myself and another part very, very explicitly to help others who are maybe going through something similar or have gone through something similar. So it was very much, um, it was very much a, an exercise of service to others. And I think, you know, so, so the book taught me, um, yeah. It takes an incredible amount of patience and perseverance to write a book. It takes a tremendous amount, certainly in my case, of um, connecting and community building and learning. And, uh, you know, both in terms of trying to create a story arc that is compelling and, you know, a narrative that is engaging and words that technically fit, you know. So there's all sorts of the craft stuff that I was learning. Um, but mostly I was learning about myself through it. Um, you know, learning about, you know, my own experiences. I, you know, that's how I process the world is to process it through writing. So taking the time to, to write all of this, you know, one thing I like, I like to talk about is how, um, you know, that idea of guilt, you know, that we all, that most of us mothers have who have raised, you know, teens and addictions or have lost them is, is, you know, I was hard on myself for sure. But the practice of putting this narrator on the page and then reading her back to me, I could have a whole lot more compassion for the narrator on the page than I had for myself. And they're the same person. So I ended up learning to be much more compassionate with myself, I could see myself much more objectively, um, which which was very healing for me. So you know, the things I learned, you know, are varying from things I learned for myself, things, you know, how I, you know, show up in service of others, the technical craft of writing. Um, so much, so much learning went on through this book. 
Okay. I'm not saying you'd write about this again, but would you do another book? Do you have another one yes. in you? I, I don't know. You know, I certainly, I, you know, people ask me, do you, will you write another memoir? And I say, I hope not because, you know, they're all very traumatic. <laughs> and I don't want any more trauma in my life. But the, but I don't know. I, I am, I am, I, I've been on the fence. I think, you know, one, one of the things, there's a lot of pressure, you know, in a way, I think, for, especially for us memoirs that come to writing late in life, you know, I had this story, this story to tell. I wasn't burning with ideas to write and tell stories my whole life. It's not part of my lifestyle. It's not part of how I think. So I was clear that I didn't really want to feel pressured to write a second book if it wasn't in me, because what I feel is, you know, like you're, you know, you're saying, you've got to find that thing inside of you that, that really is coming out. I was passionate about writing this book. This book was part of me. I don't know that I will ever have that feeling with another book again, but I am already starting to play around with ideas and, um, you know, different op writing opportunities. And I definitely know that I am not done with writing for sure. All right. Would you like a, would you like a touch a piece of advice from a guy that's wanted to write his whole life? Go right ahead. No book gives you the same feeling twice. No. None of them do. It, um, they all feel different. And so if you do decide that you got another book you want to share to the world, again, I'm glad, like, if you decide that you're going to be the world's greatest journaler and write for just you, that's totally fine. Like, whatever you choose to do is, is there's no, there's no wrong answer. But if you do decide to share something in the world, then this is my hope for you going forward is, I hope the next book gives you more joy to create next time around. That's my, that's sincerely what I wish for you. Joy, by the way, in my opinion, is the hardest thing in the world to write. Mm -hmm. Right. In my opinion, because, because so, so you're in Vancouver. So you got the Hallmark studio up there and Hallmark is cheesy as fuck. Like have you ever seen a Hallmark movie? Now here's the thing. They have embraced their ice cream flavor. They're like, this is who we are. And we don't care because this is who we are. And you got to respect that. Like, like whatever you might think about those movies, hey, listen, they make no apologies about the ice cream they make. They don't, they don't, they do not, right? And you got to respect that. But it's so cheesy because it's, 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 it's a substitute for joy. Joy is yeah. such a precious thing. It's, it's, it's such a truly precious, precious. Pre and by the way, folks, if you love Hallmark movies, I'm not knocking your love of Hallmark movies. They they, they exist for a reason. I bring I, moments of joy, absolutely. Absolutely. But writing true joy. So one of my favorite creative nonfiction writers is Will Eaton. Right? So he writes not just about his Star Trek experiences. He writes about just game nights with his family and friends. And you think that's easy to write. It's not. Because again, there's that, that real fine line of this is a magical moment. Oh my God. It's like a love, a love song on the radio. It's like that. Like if you're in love, you're like, Oh, I totally get this. And if yeah. you're not, you're like, Oh my God, stop. Just stop. Please just for the love of God. Stop. It's true. That's you know, the line. Like there's right. That's, that's, yeah, that's the line with joy. It's, but it's one of the things with grief. Um, and actually I think probably with a lot of, really difficult times. I know like coming out of Tristan's addiction when he was in recovery, 
The joy I felt over the smallest things was astounding. And then after grief that you, you know, honestly, when you, when you hit a really uh, kind of acute traumatic grief, like, you know, losing your, your son, you don't feel joy for a while. And then you don't want to feel joy for a while. And then you start letting it in. And the joy you feel is so, there's so much more gratitude for that joy. It, it is, you, you know, I appreciate it on such a different level because it had been absent for so long and I can appreciate it more. And I think one of the things I really wanted to do and I continue to want to do in all of my writing is to share joy. So even though this book is tragic and um, hard to read in parts, it's very much is a book of hope and recovery. And, you know, hopefully um, people will get a sense of joy as they read, if they read to the end. So what I will, what, what I'll say then, then I think, I, I mean, unless you want to keep talking, I'm more open to talk to you for a little while longer, but what I will say before we wrap, we wrap this up is it's um, the darkest moments in your life. And you only see them right in those moments, actually. You you also can have an incredible amount of good in those moments without actually realizing it. I'm taking this podcast on the road. It's it's funny because like I I had made the initial decision to wrap up doing shows on Twitch because I've done a lot of them on Twitch, like over nearly 600 of them on Twitch. And I've done plus what I did prior to that. So it's like, I was looking for, and, and I'm definitely changing the show up. But one of the things that, that has come out of doing this, right, is I've seen, I've seen a lot of people deal with those um, um, darker moments, just like what you're talking about here. And there's, a, and I've heard, I've heard some other stuff throughout my tenure at the show sometimes like great things usually happen in those really dark moments. Um, I mentioned my teeth thing earlier when I was going through, I was going through in Arizona. There was this family every Sunday would feed me. They just, they, they took care of me in a time when I needed to be taken care of. And during the whole time it was going on, I never realized how much that, that was necessary mm -hmm. for me. Like you just, you're so, you're in so much pain. You don't see it. Like you just, you just can't like, it just, right. And then when it's over, I'm just like, you know, I had a lot. And, and, and this sounds strange years later. I had a lot of good in that moment and you don't realize it in those moments because in those moments they, they hurt like a son of a bitch. They really, really do. But those little things really matter. And when I do go on the road, Road, right when I do go on the road I have a so it's not my first or second stop but my my third or fourth stop is going to be in, the, in that town in Arizona for no other oh, reason great. honest to God yeah I'm thankful because I, I would not have survived that time in my life if it wasn't for people like them and I'm yeah. very aware of it and I'm grateful I'm beyond belief grateful grateful to those people and others like them there too. It wasn't just them and there was others. And I realized this, you realize this 
long after. And so sometimes in those really dark moments, you can look at them years later, more often than not. Like, folks, during it, if I say this to you, you're going to punch me in the face and I'll completely understand. But, it, like, when it's over, yeah, there was some people, good things. In yeah, you know, pe people can be good. And it's, you know, the small connections can can be deeply meaningful, um, you know, at those times, for sure. I know one of the things I write about is when I was, um, after I lost Tristan, I traveled for a while, and I just wanted to be on my own. I wanted to be by myself. And there was one woman I met in Portugal who just took the time to listen to my story and share a bit of hers and just have a sense of human connection. And that, just that, you know, basic human connection felt, you know, like, you know, water in a desert to me. Because you weren't alone. And you needed, yeah. and you needed that reminder. At that moment in time, you needed it. And it was there. And it was good for you. Yeah. Oh, so. Miss Cassie. Well, thank I, you. I think we have an interview here. What do you I think it, that was before, great. Before, I, I, before we wrap up, I got two more questions and then we'll get you to do the plugs. Um, you mentioned you're like, you're not sure about doing a book, but you do, you have done other stuff. So I'm going to ask this and this will make this a fun one. How, okay. Yeah. Obviously you talk about your creative nonfiction origins, but what were, but what's your secret origins of just getting in writing? Was it just a career decision me or were you, were you going a long time ago going, Hey, I'll, I'll get to writing fiction or not nonfiction books someday. No, I think I think um, you know, growing up in high school, I wasn't a particularly good student. I don't I, I don't have a brain that really works well academically, but I was always reading literature, writing in those areas I I shined. Um so I you know, I, I considered going into like English literature or whatever, but, you know, when I was growing up and certainly the family I was growing up, going into creative writing was not a career path. So, um, and I didn't want to be a teacher and I didn't anyway. So I just shelved that and did my own thing, which was uh, working in a medical lab for a lot of years, to be honest. And then when I found that to be very soul sucking work, I needed to do something that fulfilled me and it was always words it kept coming back to words and I you know no matter which way it went um words and writing of some sort just was calling to me at the time at that time I has I was a newly single mom with three kids so starting a career as a creative writer really was not an option at that time so that's when I went into technical writing it was and I was um surprised by it. I didn't think that it would be interesting, but I was really, I really gravitated towards the combination of structuring content and uh, user needs, like, you know, paying attention to what is it the, the reader needs and wants and how to present that first. So I was very much drawn to that kind of strategic thinking and the structure. And that has been the foundation of my writing for the last 25 years. Okay. So second thing, so then second thing is, Sounds to me like you've always been a storyteller. Whether you're so, it, second thing I'm going to mention, and then and then then I'll say it. My wife, wish I'm start plugging is. So, what did you read in high school? Because come on, like you, you, like it sounds like you loved you loved it. So, what what, what was your thing? I, I did reading was my escape, but you know, I in in high school I was really into mostly the English literature classics, the Thomas Hardy's, Jane Austen's. 
Bronte sisters, all, all of those ones. Um, those are my, my go-tos. Um, Thomas Hess, uh, you know, so uh, it was the classics, I think, and, and Stephen King. So to balance it out. So those, those were, you know, I would read everything that Stephen King wrote and I did read everything that, you know, Hardy and the Austin and Austin and the Brontes wrote. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I'm going to echo what I said earlier. And that's this. Whatever you choose to do if you're writing going forward, whatever it is, may give you more joy. And I hope the next thing, whatever you choose to go and pursue, it's fun. And once again, I am genuinely, like for what it's worth, I'm genuinely sorry. So. Thank you. All right. That, 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 that is where we get to the lame plugging of business stuff here. But actually, you should mention the book here and where people can find it. Yes. So the book is, I guess, this is a podcast, so they won't see it, but it is called. Oh, no, no, they, they, they will. They will they, 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 it's on camera here, so they will see it. So, so put it up. Yeah. Okay. Here with you, okay. a memoir of love, family, and addiction. And it is available in Canada wherever you buy books. So your independent bookstores, your, you know, the chapters Indigo, if they don't have it in, they can get it in. And please ask for it at your library or ask for it at your local bookstore and they can bring it in if they don't already have it. Okay. If, if anybody wants you? to follow me, I am K Wagner Wright. So K-W-A-G-N-E-R-W-R-I-T-E-S.com is my website or just K Wagner Writes on Instagram and on Facebook. Okay, so um, let's see. Let's see if I got this right. Kragnerwrites.com. They gave me an award for this. So I hopefully, I hopefully, yeah. did I do it? Did I you did it. it. That's great. And it's Kay, and it's Kay Wagner writes on Instagram and uh, Facebook as well, which I tend to. Uh, I, I I do have a blog on my on my website, but I do not keep it up to date. I do post regularly on on social though. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is Kate Wagner, and I. I'm thankful she decided to come and tell her story here. Check out her book. I've started it, folks. I didn't get a chance to get very far, but it is a it, it's a touching book. Hard book in some places, but it is a very touching book. And if you want to understand addiction of any kind, really, this is for you. And it's a great story. So definitely check it out. All right, folks. I'm I'm gonna be actually be honest with you because of my deadlines and because of my schedule. I'm probably gonna do one more stream next week week and that is it for the month uh it's it's just been it's it, it it's a crazy time for me i got a lot of good things happening so i'm gonna let people in on some of that stuff real soon if you want to support this podcast and want to see what the travel episodes are going to look like uh definitely check out my patreon patreon.com slash just joshing podcast five bucks a month gets you access to shows you wouldn't normally see you get to see my travel show before everybody gets to see the travel show so it's definitely there now now the first episode of the travel show audio drops tonight on my on the regular numbering it's a good one i promise and that will do it ladies and gentlemen for this episode just josh i want to thank kathy for coming on thank you for watching thank you for listening however you chose to do this stay inspired out there and i'll see you guys soon Starting with episode 1011, the, the Twitch era of the Just Joshing podcast is officially over. We are now in the midst of a transformation to a travel show. 
the Twitch travel era. 1011 is my first travel show. Barb Sim is my guest. There's going to be a variety of these things. Now, if you want to see all the travel episodes well before they ever come out as officially part of Kenan on the show, check out patreon.com slash justjoshanddodcast. Five bucks gets you access to all the interviews up there so far. There's a bunch of them up there that are going to be coming real soon. More are going up there right now, including SDCC. So if you are interested in supporting the podcast, the best way to do it, if you got a couple bucks, go to patreon.com slash just joshing podcast. Josh. Josh.